This is the Everything 80s Podcast, episode 14. Today we're looking at the Choose Your Own Adventure books. Hey guys, what's happening? Welcome back to the Everything 80s Podcast, brought to you by Everything80spodcast.com. I'm Jamie, and today we're looking at arguably the greatest book series of all time, and that is the Choose Your Own Adventure book. So looking at the history, how they were developed, uh, just cultural impact, all that sort of stuff. But before we start, make sure you subscribe, if you want, to the podcast, wherever you find podcasts, Apple Podcasts iHeartRadio, Stitch Radio, whatever. I should be there. Okay, let's get into this. So even if you didn't like reading as a kid, you probably at least dabbled in the Choose Your Own Adventure books because they were they're kind of like experiencing a real-life video game. I, I don't know. It's kind of the best way I could put it. So I, as a quick summary before we get into it, the Choose Your Own Adventure books were a series of kids' game books, technically, that were popular in the 80s. They were written from a second-person point of view where the reader becomes the protagonist and would make choices which would alter the story. The books themselves would go on to sell over 350 million copies <clears throat> during the 80s, which is crazy. So I was just thinking back, and one strong memory I have from being a kid um, it was like, if there was one that stands out, it was discovering to choose your own adventure books. Like I, I did like reading. I, I was big into the, like the Narnia books and, you know, Lord of the Rings and whatnot, but choose your own adventure was like an actual game changer. Cause they were so interactive and immersive that you obviously couldn't help, but feel part of the story. So this is, you know, kind of pre never ending story days. And I feel that this, the books really captured what that movie and, and things like that would do. So I also remember keeping one of these books on my desk while in third grade and trying to read it sneakily as I couldn't wait to see what happened. And I mean, if, if anything can create that sort of, you know, elicit that response, especially from books, I think that's a good thing. I mean, obviously, you know, the Harry Potter series would do that too. To the, you know, when, when a kid or whoever is not really aware that they're reading, when that's something maybe that they were straying away from or they just didn't see as, not not just that it wasn't cool, but something that just didn't appeal to them. If you can kind of put, I felt Roald Dahl did that very well too in his books, like with Charlie and the Chocolate Factory and Matilda and all those books. I felt like when you're reading those, you, you, you felt separate from the fact you were reading a book um, and you're more ingrained in the, in the story. And that's obviously what good authors and storytellers do. Okay. So let's get right into this story. If you want to read, so this is all based on the blog research and article I did. So if you want to see uh, the way I laid this out in written form, it's set up like a choose your own adventure story. So it, the introduction would go through and then you can jump to the different chapters through the blog, depending on which direction you want to go. So that's, if you want to see that, it's everything80spodcast.com slash 14. And, and, and then it also has like some different pictures and more history of, of the book. But here's looking into the actual history. And it starts with a guy named Edward Packard, not Packer from um, the office, but him and his daughters. And Packard loved to tell 
bedtime stories to them, and he based them around the adventure stories of a boy named Pete. Packer used this character and had him encountering all these different adventures on, you know, like an isolated island or wherever he would be. So one night, however, Packer realized he was running out of things for Pete to do. Bedtime was basically starting to go into reruns, and he decided to just ask his daughters, what would you do? His daughters would come up with different paths for the story to take. And then he thought up of a different ending for each of them. So depending on where they went, he could think pretty well on the spot and he was able to kind of create this new adventure based on what his daughters were suggesting that night. So the girls, his daughters had a lot of natural enthusiasm for this type of story and he immediately picks up on this and then obviously wonders, could I write this down? Could this turn into a story? So Here's some of the uh, early days in the development. And as most popular things from the 80s are, they tend to start some of them in the late 70s. And then they pick up speed into the 80s. There's, you know, everything is more word of mouth based at that point. Obviously, no internet or um, social media or ability to share and review and whatever. So a lot of the greatest creations of the 80s came from the 70s like the Walkman or the VCR you know things like that so th- this goes back quite a way this this Edward Packer guy had this original concept as early as 1969 and um, that, that's how far back he goes with the bedtime stories and that and he actually released a book called The Adventures of You on Sugarcane Island and this would be the exact prototype that Bantam Books would eventually release as Choose Your Own Adventure. And again, if you're on the show notes or reading the Choose Your Own Adventure blog I made, everything80spodcast.com slash 14, you can see, you know, like the early version of the book and stuff like that. So this, the adventures of you on Sugarcane Island is good and Packard knows it's good. He's It's a very cool concept. It's connecting with kids. He's got a test market rate in his own house. So he connected with the William Morris Agency, which is a very famous agency. Maybe not as much then, but would develop. And he looked to them to help distribute the book. In 1970, the agency started to shop the Adventures of You on Sugarcane Island around, but it was rejected by all the major publishers. Like I said, I don't know if William Morris had the clout it did yet, or if the publishers were just... Um, I mean, today there's so many different ways to be published and you can self-publish anything. You can release easily books on, um, you know, Amazon, Kindle format, the, they call it like the, the Kindle marketplace. You can put them on your own blog. There, there's so many ways to do it. So back then, if you wanted anything published, you had to go to the publishers. So they're getting so much stuff that they're able to really um, be very selective because that everyone they're just getting bombarded with stuff. So kind of seems to always be the case with anything that ends up successful is that there's early rejection and not giving up on it and still pushing forward and pursuing it and resulting success. Thinking actually like referring back to the Harry Potter series, I mean, how often that was rejected. I mean, we don't have to get into things like, you know, the Beatles and there, there's a million stories of, of rejection like that and then success later on. So here's here's perseverance at its best. It took six years before someone was ready to publish them. Can you imagine 
being committed to something for six years and all the times you'd want to throw in the towel and he didn't. So in 1976, Vermont Crossroads Press published the book and, you know, I don't know if they obviously liked the concept, whether they were taking a full risk or a chance or they were confident, whatever they put it out. And it was pretty well received. So Publishers Weekly called it an original idea well carried out. So then working with a publisher there named Ray Montgomery, Packard's book ended up selling 8,000 copies, which actually is a pretty large amount um, for a small publishing house. And I think like today that would be exceptionally good if from what I've been looking at. But even back then, that was considered very, very good. Um, so now it it's starting to develop into what we would know as choose your own adventure. So it's now 1977, actually 1977, 1978. And another publishing company called Lippincott would go on to publish the next books that Packard had written. He, you know, he obviously didn't just write this one and stick with it and wait six years. He was still being busy. He wrote a book called Deadwood City and another one called The Third Planet from Altair. And this is where the publisher started to pr- promote the unique format that these books were written. And remember, these are in the choose your own adventure style that you can move around up to that. Like with the, that original book that wasn't really promoted. It was just pushed out as another book. No one knew this original concept, but it wasn't until this other publishing company, Lippincott got on board that they really started to um, accentuate what made these books unique on the covers they alerted the readers to the unusual style of these books by saying that you would choose your own adventure in the Wild West. They weren't named Choose Your Own Adventure yet, but they were kind of iterating to that. They would say, um, like on the book, The Third Planet from Altair, on the cover it said, Choose Your Own Adventure in Space. So this is now when Bantam Books, which I think everyone's familiar with as a major publisher they come on the scene it's in 1978 and now they see the big potential that Packard's books could have and that they I I don't know if they just it didn't clue into them or now that it was more like succinctly described that it was choose your own adventure in the west or choose your own adventure in space or whatever they they saw the promise and they started to publish these as interactive books and apparently the whole arrangement was done on an airplane when one of the publishers connected with the head of marketing for Bantam. Apparently, I, from what I read, they just sort of ran into each other and ironed this whole thing out. So Vermont Crossroads Books had sold the rights to a company named Pocket Books and then during this whole process, but then the rights were transferred to Bantam. So now under the ownership of Bantam, Packard wrote his first official Choose Your Own Adventure book under that title. And that was called, probably the most famous one, The Cave of Time. So here's just a quick, the you know, the format of Choose Your Own Adventure and sort of how it was based and everything like that. So they were originally intended for those aged around 7 to 14. And as I mentioned earlier, they were written in a second-person format. So you as the reader would become the protagonist and take on the role that was relevant to that adventure. So some, if you read these books, you remember some of those roles would be like a private investigator or a mountain climber, or there was like race car drivers, or you might've been a spy or a doctor. You would take on that role. And through all the different stories, the protagonist, who is you, 
wasn't specifically um they they weren't like identified as a certain uh, race or not even actually a certain gender they a lot of the imagery and illustrations did it did seem centered on being male but that was never actually specifically said which when I, i'm trying to think back reading these things obviously as a young male human boy i was picturing myself in that but the and uh, my, my association was the books were always written from a male perspective, but they actually weren't. So again, like you're just taking your own interpretation on that. So that was obviously a smart thing because they didn't want to just isolate girls. And, you know, as many girls love these books as did boys. But it's yeah, if you do look at the illustrations, it did look a little more male centered. So once you started reading a Choose Your Own Adventure book, you would face two to three options within the first couple of pages. Each of these options would lead to more options and then ultimately to one of many endings. And you feel like D-bag like me, you'd try to read ahead to cheat to get to the best ending, if you remember that. Okay, maybe just me. So the number of endings in a book was not set. And in the earlier books, you could have as many as 44 different endings. As the books progressed, that number would go down to around eight. And... There was also no clear pattern among all the different books for various things, including uh, number of pages for the ending, the ratio of good to bad endings. They, 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 weren't, they weren't really following a formula. It was just like whatever came naturally or, or, and organically during the writing process. Um, there wasn't even any clear pattern for your progression backward and forwards through the book. So uh, it, it made it really unique. So since they didn't follow a set formula regarding those three things, like I mentioned, like number of pages, uh, the amount of good to bad endings, the progression backward and forwards, it made every book incredibly unique. Everyone who read the book could have an entirely different experience from that book. And that, that's a pretty amazing thing. So now it feels a little more customized and personalized. And if you think about branding and um, success through marketing, that is the golden ticket. If you can make something feel personalized to an individual, you're, you've got a customer, well, not just immediately, but potentially for life. And this is something I covered in the show about the Walkman, if you want to go back and listen to that one. That was one of the very first electronic devices that was personalized uh, because you had... Up to that point, you couldn't take your music with you unless it was a transistor radio, but you had to listen to whatever was on whatever radio station you could tune in. So uh, you were completely limited. You had, you know, record players and eight tracks and all that stuff, but you couldn't take them on the go. When the Walkman came out, now this was your own music wherever you wanted and you didn't have to like concern yourself about other people listening to it. So they created a mass marketed product that felt specifically individualized to each person. And that's obviously the progression with like the iPod and the iPhone and MP3 players and something like that. So just this capitalized, whether it was intentionally done or not, that it had its own uniqueness that appealed just to you. It felt like it was written just for you. So, um, and then each book had its own unique unpredictability and had the possibility of many repeat endings. And I think this is what led to the huge success of these choose your own adventure books. Um, you just, you, you make these kids feel like they're the only one and that's your, um, well, a gold mine on your hands, which actually happens. So another version of this too, which I covered and we're talking about successful toys is the, the cabbage patch kids. And I did a whole show on that. 
up to that point, anytime you like, say you bought a stuffed animal or doll, it was, there was one, you're buying one of like 10 million of those things. They were all the same with the cabbage patch kids. They came up with different combinations of, I think there's eight or nine different heads, body types, hair, and, and clothing. So they could have multiple different variations of those dolls. So with each kid, they were buying a doll that felt it was just for them that no other kid had. Like, you know, maybe a few kids would have them, but because there's so many unique variations, each kid had their own version. Um, and again, you make someone, especially kid feel special and they happily will open their wallets or beg their parents to open their wallets. So either way it works. Okay, so now the Choose Your Own Adventure books are getting popular and they're cranking out a lot of these. So like I mentioned, The Cave of Time being one. Here's just, I'll just rattle off a few of the different titles, see if any of these you remember. There was Journey Under the Sea. There was By Balloon to the Sahara. There was Space and Beyond, Inside UFO 5440, which was also an awesome band. The Abominable Snowman, I remember that one. The Forbidden Castle. Underground Kingdom, The Lost Tribe. I remember that one very well. Lost on the Amazon, The Dragon's Den, not the crappy show. Journey to Stonehenge, I remember that one. Supercomputer, there was Danger at Anchor Mine. Returning to, sorry, Return to the Cave of Time. Uh, Mystery of the Secret Room. There are many more titles, but these are some that stood out to me. Maybe you remember them. So, So now... We're going into um, some issues that started to come up and trademark problems. And looking back on this, I, the Choose Your Own Adventure book sold for a lot longer than I realized. So essentially, you know, after starting in 1979 and then gaining their momentum through the 80s, these were still being published into 1998, which I had no idea about. So at this point, Bantam is now owned by Random House. And for some reason, I don't know, just probably a lack of foresight or just, you know, not paying attention. They allowed the trademark to lapse. And I don't know, like they either didn't see value in the books or again, it just could have been complete overlook. But the Choose Your Own Adventure brand was up for grabs. And who would grab it? It was a company called Choose Co., which is a great name. And that company was owned by Ray Montgomery. And if you remember, that was the publisher at the old Vermont Crossroads press that published the very first, The Adventures of You on Sugarcane Island back in 1976. Kind of like a real life choose your own adventure. Um, I don't know if he was just sitting around waiting to jump on this for two decades or whatever, but with uh, this company Choose Co. that he created, he was able to reissue old versions of Choose Your Own Adventure and then some other iterations that he had always foreseen, like a game book version um, that had become developed and stuff like that. So amazing that this guy was able sort of to come full circle and uh, regain this giant franchise. So the Packard, the guy who wrote all these books, he started his own company in 2010 called U Ventures, capital U. And then started releasing um, with this company their own choose your own adventure style apps for like iPads and iPhones. I've never tried these out or seen them, so I don't know what they're like. But the app versions are based on some of the original titles and stories. And the first app sort of game thing they released was the Cave of Time, kind of just bringing it back to its roots. So I'll start uh, winding it down here. And again, in the... (laughs) 
in the blog version of this, there's I have multiple endings to the blog, so you can work your way through it if you want to check it out. So, like the books themselves, they continue to live on. They still pop up every now and then. There was uh, in 2007. I don't know if people remember this. There was a lawsuit filed against Chrysler when commercials for the Jeep Patriot started using a choose your own adventure style, and it was a blatant ripoff in an ad campaign, really hoping to capture the nostalgia in its customers, which I totally get. Um, but it's, yeah, the, <laughs> they had to pay up for that. So, I mean, they've obviously faded out a bit, but they continue to live on in this app form. If you've tried it, I, I don't know if they're good. They might be, but you can, you know, you easily track down the books on Amazon and eBay and they're still out there. You always find them in flea markets or old book sales. I mean, they're worth, Keeping on, I, I don't know if the younger generations have come across these things or if they would ever be maybe reintroduced. I, I think there's a possibility for it. So, I mean, I'll always remember and love these books. You you might feel the same too. And again, you might go digging later in the old boxes, see if you have any kicking around. So for any generation, I'd say there's always a sense of wonder and amazement when you're of a younger age. Any Every person looks back on their favorite you know when they talk about their favorite time like when movies were better and music was better and sports were better it's always usually related to when they were young and maybe more of there's that sense of wonderment and everything's amazing and new and the 80s is a unique decade because it's really this explosion in all these things that lead to future nostalgia there's so much more as far as epic movies and and different types of music and more cartoons and toys that had ever existed before. So, you know, not that it stands out as the best decade, but it might because of those reasons. And the eighties was able to capture that um, in all these different toys and properties and franchises. And the, and the choose your own adventure books are one of the shining examples of that um, kind of standing out in an era where a lot of things stood out. I mean, think of the things, I mean, now obviously, and again, every generation will say this, that there's too many things vying for people's attention. Like you think right now and how overwhelming it is for the amount of things that are vying for people's attention. And they're like, oh, it it could never be this worse. You know, like this is as bad as it's going to get. But in the future, they're going to look back on this as a little more simpler time. And there'll be way more stuff in the future that's distracting and vying for people's attention. But if you like, you think in the 80s, a, a lot of uh, some iconic things are all coming out at the same time. Like as the you know the video game industry's grown and you, you go from Atari to the NES coming out and, and the explosion of Saturday morning cartoons and a majority of the best toys in history so like there's all these things when you're a young and wide-eyed kid so the fact that this book stood out and made a huge impression with everyone like I said selling over 350 million copies means it really had a unique place um, in history and fun fact the the font of choose your own adventure the title in the book is seen as one of the influences on the opening title for Stranger Things. They've seen a sort of copy of that as a hybrid between some of the Stephen King books and the Choose Your Own Adventure books. There's a fun fact to leave with. Okay, let's wrap it up here. Thanks for listening. Hope you liked this show. I found it interesting. Hopefully you did too. Again, if you like the show, make sure you subscribe wherever you find podcasts. If you really like it, leave it a rating and review. Uh, that way more people get to see it. That's it for me. Talk to you soon. 88 miles per- 